Hi. Okay, my name is Yafa Palti, and I am so excited to be here with you tonight. This is the podcast called Living on Purpose. So welcome to Living on Purpose, Episode 1. Okay, that's pretty optimistic of me to think I'll be invited back for more. Um, but I am going to share a little bit about myself with all of you tonight. First of all, I really hope that you want to participate. In the beginning, I'm going to be talking. I'll be sharing some things about myself. We'll start with a little bit about the three weeks, Tishabov, just some apropos stuff to what is happening now in this time of year. But then I want to hear from you. So, you know, get those phone calls coming, and I really would love to speak to you and to make this interactive. So I don't know who knows me, who doesn't know me. I may know some of you from New York, from Israel, from Mexico, from San Diego, from all the different places I've lived in. Now I live in Miami. Uh, maybe you know me from when I've come to speak in your city, maybe from Facebook, from Instagram, maybe from nowhere at all, maybe from Mount Sinai when we, got, when we were there together receiving the Torah. Maybe that's how we know each other. Okay, I really hope my teenagers didn't hear that because they'd be rolling their eyes. Okay, so let's talk about um, this podcast and podcasts in general because I'm really excited to be here. I must admit I'm also a little... Um, a little anxious, you know, it's my first podcast, so how does it work? What are podcasts all about? I'm a little new to it, even though I've actually wanted to do a podcast for a very long time already. Um, it's kind of been a dream of mine. I just never really got around to doing it. First of all, podcasts are a little awkward. You're just talking. Like, I'm literally sitting right now, staring at my phone, talking. I don't even know if anyone's listening. Like, there's no connection. There's no interaction and you know so it's always a little awkward and you know some people love talking and they can really just talk to themselves all day um, which is a good setup for them they can just sit and talk so I always have a lot to say and a lot that I like to share but I don't necessarily love to talk I love to communicate so you know I love people and I love ideas and I love connections and I love growth and I love chocolate um, Lots of other things, but, you know, so I make this interactive tonight so that maybe we can interact together and make the podcast a little less awkward. Uh, but anyway, so I'm excited to be here because, as I said, podcasts have been a dream, something that I did want to do, and a way to share my ideas a little bit more, but I haven't done it because, I'll be very honest with you, um, I've been afraid of the commitment. I've been afraid of the obligation. You know, I love to talk and share and connect, but not when I'm forced to do it when I'm obligated like okay you have to have something ready today something ready next week something ready every week it you know becomes an obligation to me the fear of that commitment has actually been holding me back from creating a podcast um, in fact um, maybe some of you can relate to this um, one of my biggest challenges in life is being boxed in being boxed into something being limited by something both literally and figuratively, because physically I get claustrophobic in boxed-in areas, and I think I get emotionally claustrophobic also, being too limited, too structured, too closed into a specific idea, too obligated, too scheduled, too cliche. I think that those are like emotional claustrophobia situations. 
So to me, having to be obligated to do something um, is it's a little challenging and it scares me a little bit. So I am making a commitment to try to get past that challenge and to have more commitment to um, maybe create my podcast and, you know, really do more because life is too short for limitations. Okay, so now a little bit more about myself. I uh, grew up in New York, Brooklyn, New York, to be exact, married my husband who was originally from Mexico, then we moved to Israel, then I moved to Mexico, lived in Mexico City for 11 years. Then we moved to San Diego three years ago, and just one month ago from tomorrow, we moved to Miami. So I am brand new here in Miami, and that's where this is broadcasting from. So I've had a lot of um, exposure to different cultures and different ideas. I grew up Ashkenaz, my husband is Sephardic, a lot of changes, a lot of getting out of my comfort zone, a lot of overcoming challenges throughout, and maybe another time I'll actually come on here and share a little more of my story of the decisions I've made, the reasons I've chosen to live in the places that I have, what was the drive behind those decisions. Uh, so I'll be happy to share that with you another time. Um, but that's a little bit of, you know, in a nutshell, my adult life. Before that, I grew up in a Torah-observant home. I, I went, I am a Beis Yaakov survivor. I survived the system without too much trauma. And I, I am what people would call an FFB. Technically, I'd be fit into that category of an FFB, which for those of you who don't know, stands for from, from birth. But really, if I had to categorize myself, I would actually put myself in a different category. I would call myself an FFC, which stands for from, from choice. Because even though I grew up with, um, surrounded by mitzvot, and I grew up keeping Shabbos, and I grew up um, eating kosher, and I grew up knowing I'd cover my hair, um, and I grew up with you know a, a, a Torah observant lifestyle. It's still a choice that I make every single day. Every day I make the decision to live my life the way I think is the right way to live it, the way um, you know according to the Torah. And this is actually why this podcast is called Living on Purpose. What does living on purpose mean? And I want to explain this to you from a few different perspectives. Uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically, intellectually, uh, we tend to live our lives out of habit very often. Like we just do the things that we do because that's what we've always done. You know, we're conditioned to think a certain way, to believe a certain way, to uh, react a certain way. A lot of this is, you know, our conditioning uh, based on our culture, on our community, on our society, on our homes. That's just who we are. That's how we develop into ourselves. But very often that conditioning is not necessarily um, the healthiest place for us. Sometimes it is. But we need to make that decision. We need to take a step back and say, am I doing this because I believe it's the right thing to do? Or am I doing it because I was taught to do it? You know, am I doing this because intellectually it makes sense or because emotionally it makes sense or because spiritually it makes sense because, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do? Or am I doing it because I'm afraid to do something else because of whatever conditioning I might be 
doing something uh, you know, I might be going against. So these are things we need to understand how to live on purpose, how to live intentionally, um, how to be able to live the life we choose to live instead of living the life that just happens to us. So that is what I want to uh, learn about and discover and uncover and recover together with all of you, and I, I do hope that we can do this more often, and tonight we're going to start with one idea, uh, maybe even a few, we'll see how, we'll see, you know, what we can, what we accomplish tonight, we'll see uh, when the phone calls come in, I'm sorry, there was one phone call coming through, and I apologize for not answering it, I'm sorry, I was just so focused on what I was saying that I missed the call, but you can please call again, and call again soon, I'm going to start off with discussing um, Something that I feel is very important about the three weeks on Tishabov, and then soon we'll take calls, okay? Um, all right. We are in the time period now, uh, what's called the three weeks, and it is the, a time period that we know to be very sad. Uh, it's infamous for um, the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash or the Bet HaMikdash, whatever pronunciation you're used to, um, the temple that was destroyed a few thousand years ago. And we recall this and we relive it and we feel it every year at this time. And it's known to be the saddest day of the year. And this, we're, we're very involved in the reason for the destruction of the temple because we want to make sure that it doesn't happen again. We want to make sure that we can be on a path to rebuilding that temple. So I'm sure you've heard of the idea of sin atrinam, which is defined as baseless hatred. And we know that in order to combat the baseless hatred, we need baseless love. Now, I wouldn't really call it baseless love. I would call it loving unconditionally, loving without a specific reason or need to love, just loving because instead of just hating because or rejecting. I, I like to translate a, a sin'ah not so much as hatred, but more as rejection of another person. And, and that's something that we, that we try to work on during this time of year. And we bring in a lot of ideas about shmirat halashon, not speaking lashon hara, not gossiping about other people. All of this is related and connected. And of course, in order not to speak lashon hara, that starts with not even thinking negative thoughts about another person. And it really all goes together. I want to uncover with you a topic that, of course, is, you know, the related to all of these things, but it's a little bit different, a slightly different angle, and it actually might even be the basis for all of this. It might be the basis for Lashon Hara. It might be the basis for uh, rejection and hatred and judgment and uh, lack of acceptance and compassion that we feel sometimes toward other people. So the first thing I want to mention is in order to move away from rejection, I want to look at the positive commandment that we have in the Torah, the positive mitzvah, which is the Ahasta Loreacha Kamocha, uh, that we have a mitzvah to love another person, which is a little weird and maybe even a little hard. Is it even possible to love another person the way we love ourselves? Um, you know, uh, do we really love our neighbor's child the way we love our own children? Like, how possible is it really? And even more than that, uh, first of all, to have a commandment to love in the first place is strange. Like, love is an emotion, right? Either I feel it or I don't. You're going to tell me who to love? 
You're going to tell me who not to love? If I feel like loving someone, I love them. If it just, love just happens, it's an emotion. It's almost like saying, you know, we're commanded to be happy. To see, it's the same situation, right? How could I be forced to be happy? How could I be obligated to be? Either I feel happy or I don't. So here's what I want you to understand really, really well, because it's one of the most fundamental aspects of Judaism. If we are commanded to love, that means we are responsible for our love. That means we are able to have control over our love. If we are commanded to be happy, that means we are responsible for our happiness, and that means we are able to control our happiness. And this goes for every emotion. We are not victims of our emotions. We are not victims of love. We're not victims of happiness, right? Either I was born under the happiness star or I wasn't, right? Either I was blessed with happiness or not. I'm blessed with love or not. It doesn't work that way. Love is something we create and we cultivate. Um, I often teach uh, classes. I teach women um, shalom bayit classes and um, intimacy and marriage. And um, I have women tell me sometimes, you know, I, what should I do? I don't love my husband anymore. And I say to them, okay, so love him. And they say to me, no, no, you don't understand. I don't love him anymore. And I say to them, no, 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 you don't understand. So love him. Love is not something that just happens to you. Love is something that we create and we cultivate. It's something that we have control over. We're not victims of it. And this mitzvah, what we need to understand over here is you, we have to love another person like we love ourselves. This is fascinating because you know what this means? How does the Torah establish your capacity to love others? It's limited by the capacity to love yourself. If you can't love yourself, you cannot love another person, and you cannot love God. And our job in this world is to do just that. Our job in this world is very simple. One major thing we need to do in this world, that is to make connections. So it's making connections. Make connections with three different types of people, of relationships. Okay, what kind of connections are we supposed to make? And by the way, this is something we're hardwired for. It's not just like a nice suggestion. It's not just, you know, some nice, you know, modern psychology that says, oh, you need friends, go make friends. No, 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 this is science. We are hardwired to make connections with people and to make connections with other important things in this world. So what are these important connections? So, of course, the most important connection in this world is Wi-Fi. Because what would we do without it? Couldn't survive. Um, the next, but really the most important connections are the connections between um, ourselves and ourselves, the connection between me and myself, the connection between me and God, and the connection between me and the people around me, my family, my friends, my community. These are what we need to work on in this world. And this is why we're here. And when I am commanded that I have to love another person the way I love myself, this indicates that I cannot love another person and I cannot actually love God unless I love myself. So 
let's talk a little bit about what that means to love yourself because, unfortunately, we live in a society that, by the way, I am not at all a society basher. I love the world we live in, and I think there is so much beauty and so much generosity and so much passion, and there's such wonderful, wonderful things in our world. But I'm also, you know, a realist, and it's important for us to understand what to accept from society and what to reject from society, because we cannot have healthy balance in life unless we have healthy priorities. And, and there are certain things in our society that are not healthy and should not be accepted. So one thing that our society completely ruined for us and really gave a bad reputation to is self-love, because we are being taught um, all over the place that self-love is narcissism. And this is not about being narcissistic. The self-love that we're talking about has nothing to do with being self-focused. It has nothing to do with being self-absorbed. It has nothing to do at all with an external version of self-focus. That's what our society is teaching us. That's not what Judaism teaches us, and that's not who we are and what we need to do. So let's understand what self-love is and why it's so important in a relationship and in life. So Tisha B'Av is not only the day that the temple was destroyed. That's what it's best known for. That's what we know very much about Tisha B'Av. But other things happened on that day as well. And one of those things that happened on Tisha B'Av was the famous story of the Miraglim, the famous story of the spies that were sent in the desert after the Jewish people left Egypt. They went through the desert. They received the Torah. They continued on in the desert uh, toward the land of Israel, Canaan, and then, and then the land of Israel. And they, before they got to the land of Israel, they sent spies, which is a very normal thing to do. I mean, I told you, I just moved to Miami a month ago. Before I moved here, I came to check it out. I came, made a pilot trip. I wanted to make sure the schools were good. I wanted to make sure there were good kosher restaurants, which of course there were, so that's where I became. You know, you want to make sure that it's a good place for you to live. So they sent spies to check out the land of Israel. That was fine. Where was the problem? The problem was when they came back, they went back with reports of the land of Israel, and we know that the reports were so negative. Everything they said was, um, was a tragedy. They were, they were sad. They were upset. They said, this is a horrible land. We're never going to be able to live in it. We are never going to be able to um, conquer the giants that live there. They said it is inhabited with giants, and they're going to kill us. There's no way we can live there. And they came back with these terrible, terrible reports about the land of Israel. And here's the crazy thing. This is what they said. These were their words. They said, God hates us. How could he send us to a place like that? He hates us and he wants to kill us. He didn't take us out of Egypt because he loves us. He took us out of Egypt because he hates us and he wants to kill us when we get to the land of Israel. Okay, now one second, because I know, are you floored by this? This is crazy and I'll tell you why. Because let's remember who these people are. These people, these same exact people, had just left Egypt a short while before this. They experienced the greatest miracles in history. They experienced the greatest revelations of God's existence. There was no possible way to have more clarity in their lives 
as to who God was and how much he cares about them. No possible way. They were saved from the plagues. They were saved from the, they experienced and witnessed the splitting of the sea, which is the craziest miracle in the world ever. They were in the desert being taken care of completely. They were being taken care of, fed, protected, sheltered, financially, emotionally, physically, everything in every possible way. If you would judge how much God cared about them based on his track record, I mean, you'd be floored, right? It was so consistent with love for them. And then we have this group of people who come back and say, God hates us. How could this possibly be? It makes no sense. Okay, so now I want to go all the way back to Egypt so that we could understand a little bit more about who these people were. Let's try to understand them. Uh, the Jewish people were in the land of Egypt for a very long time. They were in Egypt for over 200 years, 210 years to be exact. Now, what was life like in Egypt? It was no Disneyland. Egypt was torturous. They were enslaved. They were oppressed. They were abused. The Jewish people had been in an abusive relationship with Egypt for over 200 years. They were the victims in this abusive relationship. What does that do to them? When somebody is in an abusive relationship, they usually develop some serious trust issues. They have a very hard time trusting people because people who they thought they were supposed to trust or who are supposed to be their leaders or who are supposed to take care of them or protect them in some way betray them and hurt them. And that's what happened over here. It was awful. And when they were told, when Moshe said to them, guys, we're going to leave. We could be free. Pack your bags. Let's go. They had a really difficult time accepting that. They had a difficult time accepting their liberation. They resisted it. And this is why only 20% of the Jewish people actually left Egypt. The rest of them didn't even make it out. They didn't want to go. And of the 20% who left, they had a difficult time. The whole time, they were complaining. They, when Moshe said to them, guys, we're going. You're going to become a nation. You're going to get the Torah. Just all you have to do is trust me and trust God. And they were like, whoa, that's all we have to do? That's the hardest thing for us to do. How can we trust you? How can we trust God? It was very hard for them. And that's why slowly but surely, God started showing them how much he cares about them and how much he's protecting them. And he did one miracle after the next. And then they come to receive the Torah. And Moshe says to them, guys, I'm going to go up to heaven. I need to receive the rest of the Torah for you. I'm going to come back in 40 days. Wait here. Okay? Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Stay right here. BRB. And they're looking at Moshe and they're like, what? Don't leave us. Oh my gosh. We've just started our relationship. But Moshe had to go. He had to bring back the rest of the Torah to them and they were very scared. But they said, okay, they're working on trusting him. They're working on it. 
So the minute he left, they started the countdown. He's going to be at 48. Okay, day one, day two, day three. They're counting, and they're counting, and they're anxious, and they're anticipating, and day 40 comes, and what happens? No Moshe. He doesn't show up. Whoa! Could you imagine what this did to them? Could you imagine? They already came with such a heavy package, so much trauma, so much betrayal. And now, what did they say when Moshe didn't come back? I knew it. I knew we couldn't trust him. And well, we need to understand what happens in relationships like this, when somebody is abused or betrayed in some way by someone that they trusted or someone that they should have trusted. We have a, it's very, very difficult, very difficult to actually be able to trust when something like this happens. And automatically, we're always looking for reasons not to trust them, for reasons to prove ourselves right. I knew it, right? And, and, and we sabotage the relationship because we're so afraid to actually be able to trust. That is what happened over here. Now let's fast forward to the spies. Remember, these are the same people. And I, and, and I will have you know that um, God forgave them. God actually forgave them for building the golden calf. Um, this is what happened, by the way, after 40 days when Moshe didn't come down. They said, we need to, to, to create a leader that we can trust. And they can trust somebody who wasn't a human being. And they built that golden calf. But God forgave them. You know why? Because he understood where they were coming from. He said, I, I get them. I, I have empathy and compassion for them. I really get how difficult it is for them. It's okay. And he completely forgave them. And they moved on to the story now of the spies going to the land of Israel, coming back, giving their report. Now, here's, let's pick up from where we left off before. What happened over here at this point, at this moment? Um, they came back and said, look at those giants. The land is filled with giants. There's no way we're going to be able to conquer them, right? We're not going to survive. The giants are going to kill us. God hates us. He wanted us to die in the land of Israel. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? Do you really think that God, that Hashem, couldn't kill those giants? And even more than that, do you really think that they thought he couldn't kill those giants? I mean, remember what they have just witnessed and experienced. The greatest, he split the sea. He split the sea. And now they think he can't kill a couple of jolly green giants? Really? So here's what we need to understand. It wasn't that they thought that God couldn't kill the giants. And here's the key. It was that they thought God wouldn't kill the giants. They knew he can. They just thought he wouldn't want to because they didn't deserve it. And he wouldn't want to do it for them. Do you understand what happened over here? Where did, their, where did the perspective of Hashem hating them come from? When you, I'm going to ask you a question, but I know you can't really answer right now because this is not interactive, but think about this for a minute, okay? Did any of you ever feel like someone hated you? Did you ever feel 
that there was a person who hated you, a friend, a colleague, a family member. Now, if you felt that somebody hated you, what was the reason? Like, why would a person feel that someone hates them? So I could think of a couple of reasons. First of all, it's possible that the person actually hates them, and that's why they're feeling that, okay? What would make them think so? Um, the person is actively ignoring them, actively ignoring their calls, speaking bad about them behind their back, not treating them nicely. These are all indications that the person hates you. All right, could be. But maybe there's another reason. If you think someone hates you, is it possible? Could it be that maybe the per that you think the person hates you because you hate yourself and you're projecting that onto them? Now, hate is a strong word. It's possible that in your case or in our case, it's not actually as deep and as big as hate. But let's say you think someone doesn't like you. Could it be that maybe you don't like yourself and you're projecting that onto them, right? Could it be you think someone doesn't respect you? Maybe you don't respect yourself enough and you're projecting that onto them. Could it be? I think it's very possible. And I know um, these things happen all the time. People are always telling me, you know, this person ignored me. Uh, I, I passed them by in the supermarket. They didn't say anything to me. Why do they hate me? Blah, you know, could it be they didn't see you? Is that possible? Is it an option? Right? Um, how many times we're, we, we, you know, don't, someone doesn't text us back immediately. Oh, my gosh. Why they, we take it so personally. We're so busy keeping score. Who called who last? Who texted who last? I know people who have lost friendships that have lasted decades or years because someone didn't call the other one on their birthday. Right? We take things so personally sometimes. I have a story that happened to me very recently um, uh, about a year ago, less than a year ago. Um, I walked into my children's school, the school that we were in at the time, and I had, I had a very important conversation that I had to have with the principal, and it was on my mind, and I also had been on the phone on the way there dealing with a very serious issue of somebody else, and I had like a lot of different things going through my brain as I walked into the school building. And when I, at the entrance was a teacher, my children's teacher, and she was standing there, and I had a very nice relationship with her, and I very often give her the warmest and the biggest hello when I see her, give her a hug. I'm always so happy to see her. And on that particular day, I walked in, and since I had so much on my mind that I was trying to organize, I kind of saw her but kind of didn't, and I just, like, looked at her and looked away and just marched right into the principal's office. And I did my thing, had my conversation. I left. I went home. This was on a Thursday. And I just carried on with my day. The next morning, Friday morning, suddenly, I, I guess I was just kind of, you know, reliving my day of the day before, going through the things that happened. And suddenly hit me that I walked into the school and I looked at this teacher, and I barely acknowledged her, and I felt a little bad. I didn't want her to think that I was ignoring her on purpose, so I picked up the phone and I called her. And I said, I just want you to realize, yesterday I walked right past you, and I, I don't want you to think that I was ignoring you on purpose. I really was just completely spaced out in my own world, and I, I just kind of didn't see you. And you know what she said to me? She said to me, Yafa, you just made my Shabbat. Like, I had a really difficult day. I really thought that maybe I did something that just wasn't like you, like you just ignored me. And I thought I did something to hurt you. Could you imagine? 
we're, sometimes we really just project our own feelings onto another person. And of course, I learned from that to be much more careful to be you know, focused and not let anyone think that I'd be ignoring them. But, um, but in general, from the other side as well, if we're that person, to just have the, the awareness and the understanding that sometimes it's our own projection and it has nothing to do with the other person. And people tell me often also in certain neighborhoods, I hate going into the stores there. I walk in, everybody stares at me because I look so different and they're just looking at me um, you know, with this sour face, they're giving me the evil eye, you know, just looking at me. And I say to them often, I say, and what are you doing? Are you looking right back at them? You know, we kind of play like the awkward eye contact game. Like we look at them, we look away, we don't, you know, are you doing the same thing? Because maybe they're thinking that you're judging them. Why don't you just say hello and smile at them? Most likely, they are going to say hello and smile back. But we're so busy judging and jumping to conclusions because we're projecting our own insecurities onto another person. And this happens in friendships. This happens with colleagues. This happens with neighbors. This happens from... Uh, um, in marriages, this happens between parents and children, uh, between children and parents, this happens in so many relationships, and this happens in our relationship with God as well. And what happened over here with the Jewish people, with the spies in this moment, was exactly this projection. Because God had forgiven them, you know, why did they think um, that God hated them? Because they thought that God was still upset at them for the, the, the hate, the sin of the golden calf. What happened was, God had forgiven them. Straight up, he had forgiven them. But they had not forgiven themselves. They were so upset at themselves for doing that, for not being able to trust. They were so upset at themselves that they didn't forgive themselves, so they were projecting their own insecurities, their own self-hatred onto God. And that's what happens. And just the end of the story over here, before we move on, is in the end, they were not allowed into the land of Egypt. I'm sorry, into the land of Israel. They, their generation were killed out. I mean, after they you know, lived their lives and after they had all died, the next generation were the ones who went to the land of Israel. Now, what we need to understand is that wasn't a punishment. That was not a punishment. God loved them in such a deep way. And he loved them more than anything. And he, all he wanted from them was a relationship. That's all he wanted. But here's what we need to understand about Judaism and about being the Jewish nation. It is, Judaism is not about the brownie points. Okay, we don't do, why do we do mitzvot? Why do we, why do we have the mitzvot in the first place? The mitzvot are not about putting a golden star on our chart. The mitzvot are not about checking off every time I do a good deed. Every time I, you know, hey God, look at me. I came to shul this week. Look at me. Look how good I am. All right, look at the, look, God, I just gave tzedakah. Look how good I am. It's not about the pat on the back. It's about the check. It's not about the star. That's not why we do mitzvot. We do mitzvot, and the reason we have the Torah and the reason we are the Jewish nation is to create a relationship with God. That is all he wants from us. He wants to be close with us. He wants to love us. He wants to give to us. 
But what happened over here was when a person has a low self-esteem, when a person is insecure with themselves, when a person doesn't love themselves, they don't feel lovable. And when you don't feel lovable, this is really important to understand that how this concept works in relationships. When you don't feel lovable, you cannot accept another person's love. You don't even believe that the other person really loves you. You think there's an ulterior motive. You think that there's something they must want. How can they love me? This is subconscious, of course. I'm not lovable. They don't really love me. Maybe they want something from me. They can't really love me. And what happens at this point is we have to prove that we're right because we're too afraid to actually accept love. So we do something to sabotage the relationship, to prove that we were right. And this is what we do in relationships, and this is what happened over here. The Jewish people, they sabotaged the relationship. They said, it can't be. He doesn't, he can't be. He loves us because they didn't feel lovable. So what happened over here? It wasn't a punishment that they couldn't enter the land of Israel. It was a natural consequence. Hashem said, my children, my dear beloved children, I love you. And I want to create a relationship with you. This is the reason I took you out of Egypt. This is the reason you got the Torah. This is the reason I made you into a nation. This is the reason I'm bringing you into Israel because I want a relationship with you. But we can never have a relationship because you will never be able to understand how much I love you. You will never be able to feel my love. So we won't be able to have a relationship. And that's why he needed to wait for the next generation. And here's what we need to understand about Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is also the day, we said this is the day that the story of the Miraglim happened. It's also the day that we know that Mashiach is going to be born. Mashiach is going to be born on Tisha B'Av. And here's what's interesting, because we know that um, Mashiach is going to be the descendant, hopefully, already is, hopefully Mashiach is born, the descendant of David HaMelech, King David. And David HaMelech is the antithesis of the Miraglim. He's exactly the opposite of what happened over there. Because let's understand who he is. We'll just do this very quickly. King David is a... He was a person who had, he had a horrible life. I mean, if you know all the details about what he went through in his life, it's mind-blowing. I don't know how he's sane. I'd be locked up if I were him. He was orphaned. He was abandoned by his family, by his father. He was rejected by everyone around him. He spent his whole life running. Everybody wanted to kill him, including his own son wanted to kill him. That's just whole life, just running, 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 always trying to, um, you know, chasing his tail and after being so rejected and abandoned by everyone who loved him. I mean, the trauma that he could have grown up with. But yet, who did he become? King David became the leader of the Jewish people and the ancestor of the ultimate redeemer, Mashiach himself. So how did he do this? How could King David possibly have become such a powerful person, such a healthy person, after having had such a difficult, 
complicated childhood after having had so many traumas in his, in his life, how was he actually able to pick himself up and develop himself into the healthy, wonderful, amazing person that he was? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you how he did this. It's fascinating. David HaMelech believed in the depths of his soul that Hashem loves him. This was the, the basis of Tehillim, of all of the, the Parakim, all of the chapters in Tehillim that King David wrote are all about, they're all full of emotion, by the way. They're filled with emotion. That's why Tehillim is something so powerful. It's something that we turn to uh, for so many different reasons. We turn to in so many different stages in life because Tehillim is something that speaks to the soul. It speaks so many languages because every single emotion is written down in Tehillim through King David. He was so vulnerable. He opened himself up to Hashem in such a deep way, which is the ultimate connection to be so vulnerable and open. And that's what he did. And, and, and King David understood from the depths of his soul how much Hashem loved him. He didn't need the validation of people around him. He didn't need external love and external validation. He didn't have any of that. He didn't have any of it. But he knew something that we say every single morning, the first words out of our mouths when we wake up in the morning, God, Hashem, thank you. Thank you for another day. And when we say the words, we're thanking Hashem for another day. It's not only the day that we're thanking Him for. It's so much more than that. We're thanking God every single morning. We're thanking Him for giving us all of the things that we have in our lives, not just life itself. Every day He re-gifts us the things we had the day before. Right? Nothing is guaranteed. Just because yesterday you had your health does that mean you're going to have your health tomorrow? Of course not. Just because you had your house yesterday, does that mean you're going to have a house tomorrow? Just because you had your car yesterday, does that mean you're going to have your car tomorrow? Your job, your family, none of it is a guarantee. And every morning we're saying, Hashem, thank you for giving me my life again. Thank you for giving me my talents again. Thank you for giving me my parnasa again. Every morning it's a decision that he gives it to us again. Now, here's what's fascinating, because as we're going through these words, and we're saying, thank you, God, for re-gifting me with everything again and again every morning. Everything you, know, everything you do for me, it's so amazing, right? It's so, so generous of you, and I really feel your love. How should this prayer, or this verse, actually end? It, the way it does end is, Rabba Emunatecha which says, how great is your faith? Which seems so weird because after we're saying all of these things and we're thanking him for everything he does for us, we should say, how great is my faith, right? Because you gave me everything and you gave me another day. Okay, I have so much faith in you. Thank you, but no, that's not what we're saying. Listen carefully to, this, to these words. Rabba emunatecha. How great is your faith? We're telling God, your faith in me. This is why you give me everything again. You gave me everything today because you believe in me. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You believe in who I can be. You believe in what I could accomplish. You believe in what I can do. 
you believe in me so much more than I believe in myself. Wow. Thank you for that. Thank you. And that's what David HaMalach knew. That's what King David knew. He knew that God loved him and God believed in him. And he was able to build on that love to become the person that he was. Now, how can we do this practically? How can we build up our self-esteem in a practical way? So again, let's see how King David did this. King David did what, um, we can call this the, the focus theory. He knew how to focus and what to focus on. We get distracted so often by everything, right? We just, especially today, we live in a world full of distractions. It's so hard for us to actually take something and focus on it. And this is what King David was able to do. He was, I'm going to give you one example of this, okay? Obviously, there are so many, but I'll choose one example. When he was running away from his son who wanted to kill him, can you fathom that for a second? Wrap your brains around the concept of him having a son who wanted to kill him. Okay, that's number one. Then number two, as he's running away from his son who wanted to kill him, what does he do? He whips out his guitar, and he starts singing and dancing, Mizmar David, Bivarcho Mipneav Shalom Beno. These are the words of Tehillim. He starts singing, Mizmar David. David sings as he's running away from the son who's about to kill him. And he has this beautiful song coming straight from his heart, straight from his soul. And that's, I mean, that's insane if you think about it. He's singing praises to God while he's running away from his son, and he's so happy. Seriously, what is he so happy about? You know what? I'll tell you what he's so happy about. And, and, and listen to this carefully because it's mind-blowing. King David knew that there was going to be a rebellion in his home. He knew that someone in his home is going to get up and try to kill him. And he thought the worst of the worst. He thought, I don't know, maybe, maybe one of my servants, maybe one of my staff at home is going to try to kill me, but I don't know who it is. I don't know who to fire. I don't know who it's going to be, but I know that at some point in my life, it's going to happen. Someone's going to try to kill me. And he was always on guard, which is a very difficult way to live. Uh, but he knew that this was going to happen. And then, all of a sudden, he realized, who is the person who's trying to kill me? It's not my staff. It's not my agent. It's not my, guard, my bodyguard. It's my son. It's my own flesh and blood. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Hashem. Why was he so happy? You know why? Because if it's a random person, that person is not going to have any compassion. If he's going to decide to kill him, he's going to kill him. But his son, his son, he had a sliver of hope that his own son would have some compassion and wouldn't kill him. This was the power of King David. This was his strength, the strength to look at his world of darkness, to look at his life of difficulty, and to focus on that one sliver of hope. And you know what? We all have lives that have difficulties. We have lives of pain, sometimes of suffering, or just of challenges. Life is difficult. That's the definition of life. But we also have a lot of goodness. And we're not always sure how to focus on that goodness. Sometimes we're just attracted to the negative. It's actually easier to be negative. 
It comes much more naturally. And let's get back to the, the prayer of Moza'ani for a second because I want to go back to another uh, grammar issue in this prayer. Moza'ani, that's how we started off. The words Moza'ani. Now anyone here who speaks Hebrew, you can attest to the fact that this is not grammatically correct. It's a little poetic. Moza'ani, right? Grateful am I. That's not how you say, I am thankful. You say, ani moda. That's the normal way to say it. Why are we being so poetic first thing in the morning, before our coffee? We're supposed to be so, po- so poetic, right? How, why are we saying it this way? Because think of the words for a minute. Moda ani versus ani moda. What kind of day would I have if the first word out of my mouth in the morning is ani? I, me. It's all about me. My whole day is going to be focused on me, me, me. That's going to be the narcissistic part of self-love, which isn't really self-love at all. The me, me, me. And the whole day is going to be revolving around the me. But when I start my day off with moda, I start my day off with thankful, grateful. Do you know how different my day is going to be? What kind of day I have when all I'm focused on is what I have to be thankful for? No comparison, right? And this is what it's all about. And naturally, we fall into, we fall into that state of negativity. It's, it's naturally a part of who we are. Um, I'll never forget the first time I, I, I didn't um, tell you this about myself, but um, I am a speaker. I go around uh, to different places and I give lectures. And the very first time that I went somewhere to speak, uh, this was, it, I was very nervous, it was like a big deal, you know, it was a, a big audience. And after the event, they were going through the papers, they had given out forms for everyone to fill out, uh, grading the lecture, how they liked it, from zero to five, five being excellent, zero being the opposite. And, they, and, and I was in the house of the host. Um, after the event, I was staying there until they were going to bring me to the airport a couple of hours later. And they decided to go through the papers right then and there in front of me. And they're going through the papers. And I was so curious. I needed to see, how do the people grade me? So I'm like kind of, um, you know, hiding behind them, walking back and forth, being all busy, looking over their shoulder. I wanted to see what I got. And, I, and I'm looking at the papers and I see five, 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 and I was feeling good. I was proud of myself. Like, okay, good, good. They liked me, and it was it's a good feeling. It was validating, you know. And I'm looking, five, 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 and then I see a four. Someone gave me a four. I couldn't believe it. Like, what? Why did they give me a four? And then I, I was, I was horrified, and I continued looking, and then I saw a five, 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 five. But you know what? What was on my mind the entire time? From that minute until I got home, which was a four-hour plane ride, all I kept thinking about was that four. Who gave me a four? Why did I get a four? What did I do wrong? You know, it wasn't even a three. It wasn't a, two, it wasn't a zero. It was a four. And the rest of them were fives. But I was, I, I was so focused on that four. And you know what? That is what we do so often in life. We have a life of fives. And we are focused on that four. We have a life of light. And we're focused on that one speck of darkness. What King David was teaching us over here is that we need to be exactly the opposite. It's easier to focus on the black than on the white. 
but we need to focus on that sliver of hope. No matter what is going on, there is a sliver of hope. And we know the end of the story, by the way. His son did not kill him. He really brought that about. He actually attracted that to himself because he so badly believed it and he lived his life with that faith, with that level of emuna. And that's why he was able to build himself up and to become the amazing person that he became. He knew. Um, and, and by the way, when I say focus on the good and focus on the positive, so um, this is in life, okay? Obviously, we're talking about in life itself, in our circumstances, in the things that we go through. This also means focus on that sliver of light in other people. Somebody can be portraying um, behaviors that we don't like. That's okay. We don't have to agree with what they're doing, and we need to know that what they're doing is wrong but we can still focus on the little tiny goodness that that person does have because no one's one dimensional and we all do have good. And most importantly, we need to focus on that goodness inside of ourselves because we're also so quick to judge ourselves. We define ourselves so often by our mistakes. And here is, we're going to end with this because I know we're getting close to the hour over here. Um, we define ourselves so often by the wrong things that we do. Oh, I made a mistake. I did something so bad. And we judge ourselves. And we're so hard on ourselves. And we become that sin. We become that mistake. And here's what we need to understand. King David sinned. We know about it. We're taught about his sins. He wasn't perfect. He was not a perfect human being. And he still became who he was because he knew that even though he sinned, and even though he made a mistake, Hashem still loves him. And he still has such tremendous value, and he still has so much worth. Whereas the Jewish people at the time of the Moraglim, they defined themselves by their sins, by their mistakes. They said, we sinned, therefore we have no more self-worth, no more value. Hashem doesn't love us anymore. And that's why King David is the antithesis of this, and that's why Mashiach will be born on Tisha B'Av to make up for that. And that's what we should be focusing on and what we should be working on during these three weeks. Understanding what real self-love means. You know what it means? I'm going to tell you right now. This is what we're going to end. The definition, how to do it. I am going to save you. Right now I'm going to save you all years of therapy. Okay? How do you develop your self-esteem? You want to hear? How develop your self-esteem? It is one word. One word, that's all. And that word is? acceptance. Complete self-acceptance. This is the package of who I am. God made me this way. This is who I am. And he made me this way on purpose. Right? I am living on purpose. This is who I am. There were no mistakes. And especially in our society today when we have such easy access to comparisons on social media, we are constantly at a disadvantage where we can compare ourselves to other people and someone else is always going to look nicer or say something smarter or be funnier or make a better dinner than us. And there's always going to be some way for us to not feel good enough about ourselves. Why do I look this way? Why, did, why do I have this body? I hate this body. Why do I have this personality? I hate this personality. Why do I have this fear? Why do I have this anxiety? Why... Am I not better at this, better at that? And we, we look down at ourselves and we define ourselves by our deficiencies. We define ourselves by our weaknesses. 
what we need to do to work on our self-esteem, and this is what we need to work on now during the three weeks and the nine days, and Tisha B'Av, self-acceptance, complete self-acceptance. This is who I am because Hashem made me this way, because this is who I need to be to fulfill my mission in this world. Nobody else's mission is my mission. And nobody else's package is my package. Once I accept myself completely, that's how I come to love myself. And now I'm going to define for you what true self-love means. And if there's anything that I want you to remember from the entire talk tonight, this is what it should be. Okay? What is self-love? Self-love is not narcissism. Self-love doesn't mean that I need to post a selfie of myself and that I need to use filters and that I need to get likes and validation, whether it's on social media or in real life, validation that's external. Self-love doesn't mean, you know, just caring about how I look. Self-love doesn't mean focusing so much on how things make me feel. All of, you know, today, you know, people get offended so easily by everything that comes from this, this narcissism which is fake self-love it's too much of an emphasis on me too much of an emphasis on how I feel or what I think things should be like or my perception of life it's not about me self-love means that I need to view myself the way God views me I have to look at myself as the holy valuable wonderful beautiful person that I am because Hashem made me this way and he doesn't make mistakes. That's self-love. So I'm going to end with this. Um, let's understand the true value of who we are, the beauty of who we are. Let's accept it completely. The, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. There is no bad and ugly. It's the good, the better, and the beautiful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you all here with me tonight, and I am looking forward to being with all of you again next time. Have a good night.